That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Yo, what's up? Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast where we talk about drugs, alcohol, recovery, and all kinds of fun stuff. I'm coming to you from a hotel room in the Silicon Valley, San Jose, California, doing some work out here and uh, stoked to uh, set up tonight and, uh, and have Mark Crandall on the podcast. Mark's a therapist. Uh, he's a transformational life and business coach, uh, workshop facilitator, keynote speaker. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Embrace Your Past, Win Your Future. Uh, and he's the host of the Purpose Chasers podcast. Uh, Mark went from a lost boy with countless traumatic experiences to drug addiction, prison, uh, and an under uh, undenying self-hatred to building multiple six-figure coaching practices uh, and leading life-changing workshops where he can where he can empower others to break free from their limiting beliefs towards creating the lives of their dreams. Uh, before we get to Mark, and I'm super pumped to talk to him today, we actually met through Glenn, so a shout-out to Glenn Hadley. And actually, shit, we got introduced by two separate people who don't know each other, my other homeboy, Larry Hagner, uh, out in St. Louis from the Good Dad Project. So big shout-out to both those guys. Uh, we appreciate you, and thanks for linking us up today. Before we get to Mark, be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. Uh, you can also connect with us on Instagram, at realthatsoberguy, and on Twitter, at Shane Raymer. Uh, now, let me tell you about Foundations Events, uh, the educational event planning branch of Foundations Recovery Network. Uh, the found, uh, Foundations Events team is constantly seeking to add value to the treatment community, and one way they do this is through their events and conferences. They've hosted over 50 national conferences and have earned a reputation as the leader in behavioral health care events. Uh, in fact, that sober guy has recorded and released over 40 live podcasts with some of the top experts and personalities within the recovery community. Uh, live from both San Diego and Nashville Foundations uh, conferences. And you may remember, I think we put out eight, uh, eight podcasts just uh, in April uh, down at Innovations in Recovery in San Diego. Uh, so June 20th and June 21st is the 2019 Nashville conference. Uh, it's called Innovations in Behavioral Healthcare. It's hosted by Foundations Recovery Network in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's going to be at the factory at Franklin this year. So if you're an expert, if you're someone in the uh, treatment industry, if you're in the recovery community, whatever it is that that might interest you, if you want some more information, you can go to foundationsevents.com and you can get some more information there. Uh, once again, that's June 20th through the 21st, and, uh, and it's at the factory at Franklin, Nashville, Tennessee, foundationsevents.com. Um, also, do you have a loved one who needs some help? Uh, let me give you a couple of options here. You can go to foundationshelp.com slash soberguy. Or you can call 833-81-SOBER. That's 833-81-SOBER. You can talk with an admissions coordinator about treatment options that can answer any questions for you. Uh, let me give you that number one more time. It's 833-81-SOBER. Uh, let's see. We got a live show coming up June 23rd uh, with special guests. Uh, Skylar Stone will be there. Um, I believe my homeboy Mark Saratella will be there as well. Uh, big shout out to him for helping put this on. It's at the Hollywood Improv. Tickets are 10 bucks. If you're in the Los Angeles area, come out, support us. Support your own recovery. Have a good time. Uh, get involved. If you want tickets to that, you can go to improv.com slash Hollywood. Uh, once, once again, that's improv.com slash Hollywood. And you can also go to that soberguy.com and you can just click on the live shows tab there. 
Um, I wanted to uh, give a little love every once in a while. We um, will read one of the iTunes reviews. And uh, I wanted to check this one out real quick today. And it comes from uh, from Long Bean. It says, stay in the game. Um, and uh, he says, I subscribed to over 20 recovery podcasts when I decided to get sober three years ago. That sober guy became my go-to. Uh, the topic is heavy, but Shane keeps it lighthearted and fun while delivering life-changing advice from his own experience and those of his guests. Uh, it's easy to listen to during my commute and helps keep me in a good mood when I arrive to work. Uh, I've learned a lot, um, and uh, it's been life-changing for me pretty much. So just want to give a shout-out to uh, Long Bean. Thanks for that. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes, uh, be sure to do that. Um, if you don't know how, you can go on fucking YouTube and just type in how to leave a review on iTunes. It's pretty simple. So check it out there. All right. Mark Crandall, man, coming to us from Austin, Texas. I know he's got a storm going on there. Uh, Mark, what's up, man? How are you? Dude, I'm doing better than most. Thanks for having me, Shane. It's <laughs> you, dude, you got a mouthful before you start your show, bro. <laughs> I know, man, we had it. We got to get it all in, in like three minutes. Well, I guess it was five minutes, man, five minutes and 15 seconds. And here's why I do that, man. I hate fucking doing post-production. It takes forever. I have to do all this shit myself. So I just figure if I just do it right off the bat, I basically get this, uh, get this interview. Our conversation is done and then I can just plug it in and upload it, bro. And it's, it's done. It's like in and out, bro. That process, man. I'm about to jack your style, dude. <laughs> also shout out, uh, shout out to foundations. I'm going to be, uh, Glenn's booked me to speak in September in Florida. So Brother, stay, tuned. Nice. stay tuned for that. Shane, maybe we can do some live, some live podcasting from that spot, dude, that would be, that would be legit. I know, um, I think it was before Glenn actually started, and I know a couple of people have left out of foundation since, and they're doing some some new people and, and that kind of thing. Um, I had talked about going out to Florida in September, so I don't know. I don't know if that's still on the table or what, man, but if I do end up out there, that'd be great, bro. We'll do some live podcasts and all that good stuff. Have some fun. What are you speaking on out there? Do you know yet, or is it? Uh... Yeah, so you, I mean, I don't put this in my bio, but I, I, like one of the, one of the ways that I keep my foot in the industry is I do, I do substance abuse interventions. I really enjoy working with families and it's such a, it's such a fucked up space, um, which I, I won't rabbit hole too far into. So I keep my, keep my foot in there. And I think, I believe Glenn's going to have me speaking on how getting an individual to treatment is the beginning of an intervention. Mm, got it. Got it. Yeah. Actually getting somebody to admit that they need some help and then I think that's the well I think that's one of the biggest things even is just how do you help someone who doesn't want help and it's like for me the answer is you can't you know what I'm saying and it's like if they want the help then here I can provide some resources for you man the, the intervention shit man is, is got to be uh absolutely draining too like what's your experience been with that No I I really enjoy it um you know there's just a lot of people that think you know kind of the grip them and rip them where you you just throwing people into a treatment center and that's the intervention. I really focus a lot of my energy on working with the family and getting the family on solid footing, you know, so when the individual that's in treatment bucks up and says, Hey, I don't want to be here. The family's solid now and the individual actually that's in treatment actually has a chance to recovery because the family is not going to enable them anymore. Yeah. So I just, I just happen to put more emphasis on the family than I do the client. If you work with the family properly, 
you know, that that's just my experience, man. Yeah. My mom, my mom didn't have an intervention. She went to some good Al-Anon meetings and she picked me up from prison August 23rd, 2007. She said, you ain't fucking coming home. I was like, oh, damn. And I tested her twice. She really? Like, no, I'm, I'm serious. You ain't coming home. Again. How, how long were you in prison for? Uh, the, the last time, two years, Se- seven years total in institutions. Damn. And what, what, um, what year, how old were you when you first went in? The first time, first, the first year I did in county eighteen, and then I yeah. went to prison at twenty one. So you were so you were young. You were just you were eighteen, still a kid, and uh, already having experiences and troubles with the law and all that kind of shit. Oh God, dude! I had a chins petition filed on me at the age of eleven for setting fires and throwing a desk at teachers. Yeah, Damn. so <laughs> I went to group homes at, from eleven to thirteen. Yeah, so wow. when I when I entered prison, I was a uh, 140, 45 pounds. I mean, you see me, he's watching me over zoom right now. So he sees, um, I got a little bit of weight on that right now, but yeah, I mean that heroin was strong. Damn. And where, where'd you grow up at originally? I know you're not originally from Austin, right? New Hampshire, New Hampshire, man. There's a Shout big uh, 603. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, and I've heard uh, New Hampshire, um, that's a rough spot for the opioid epidemic as well, right? Yeah, that carfentanil is everywhere. Yeah, yeah, damn, that's crazy. Um, so, well, kind of take us back there, man. I mean, growing up, um, you know, obviously you, you kind of mentioned already at 11, 12 years old uh, is really when things started, you know, going crazy for you. Um, what did that look like growing up for you? I mean, was it was your mom a single mom or? Yeah. So I'll give you the, the Cliff's Notes version. Sure. Uh, so at age three, DCYF took me and my sister from my bio mom. So my bio mom nearly drowned my sister in a bathtub. And then once the state took custody of her, she kidnapped me and took off to New York and they finally got a hold of me. I was young, so I don't know. And they placed my sister and I in foster care. But some of my earliest memories are watching my mom snip sniff coke off a chest freezer with strangers while i was sitting in the living room watching fraggle rock you know if you don't know what that is i, do. I, really oh, I know what old. fraggle rock was man <laughs> i know you do right but there. your listeners yeah like, some, some of them some of them folks out there might know not know <laughs> That's yeah funny. and I, I uh you know we were placed in a foster home with two of the most loving caring individuals you could put like in you know if you were to if you heard a wrote, written everything down, like you would think I would have had a great life. Like I was taught how to be honest. I was provided with more love than I could ever want. I, I mean, we had Nintendo, I had name brand clothes, but inside I had, you know, from a really, really young age, I just had this confusion in this, this constant fear. And I hated myself from a really young age. You know, my first, bout of suicidal ideation was at the, at the age of seven. I clearly remember it. I was told no about something and I punched a hole in the drywall and my mom told me that I, my, my foster mom told me that I couldn't go with them to uh, get ice cream Sundays. And I was a fat kid at the time. So I really liked sweets. And I remember laying on my bed when they all took off and left me at the house and wondering what the world would be like without me. Damn. And it just, you know, at age seven and it just escalated. I was, you know, when they filed a chins petition on me at 11, what is it? What's a chins petition? I don't think I've ever a uh, child in need of services. So I was seeing a therapist at the time 
acting out. I mean, at this time I had like holes in my jeans and was painting my fingernails and listening to Marilyn Manson and Slipknot and just like, not that, you know, they were the gateway drug, but like, I was just, (laughs) we were eating sleeping pills and smoking weed every day and drinking. And, um, at, you know, at 11, that's, that's what, what I was doing. And my therapist called my, both my foster parents in, they were my adopted parents at the time and, uh, and said, we need to do something with this boy. He ain't right. And, and they filed a chintz petition on me, which is child in need of services. So basically, basically you petition the, the state and say, Hey, we can't handle him. We need help. And they, they took custody of me and placed me in group homes. And, you know, at 11 years old, I was sent to be rehabilitated. But what actually happened to me is I was educated about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, I came out way more fucked up than I went in. <laughs> Damn, man. Do you, do you think that's a, a pretty common uh, common thing in group homes or foster homes that when kids go in, um, even even though they have, uh, you know, like you said, you had kind of a, a, a pretty solid environment, but you still felt lost and pissed off in your own right. Is that a, is that a common thing, you think, with other, other kids out there too? Totally. I mean, yeah, there's just so much confusion. It's funny because I'm actually writing some, some blog posts right now for a, for a woman who's an advocate for foster care. And, you know, in writing these posts, it, it's like the confusion. I remember, and this is what I'm, it's fresh for me because I'm actually writing it. Yeah. Um, I've been writing it this week. And I'm, what I'm talking about in this particular post is, it was Halloween that was the day that I was adopted. I remember going to school that day, dressed up. We were doing the whole, you know, Halloween was the day, right? You got to yeah. mess around, eat candy, whatever, look at the girls and their, whatever they were wearing. And, and I remember trying to explain to my classmates, like what in the hell I was going to do. Cause I was going to get adopted and they would be like, what does that mean? I, I'm going to have new parents where are your other parents? I don't know. I haven't talked to him in years. And like, this is me as an adult talking about it. You can imagine, yeah. you know, at seven, you know, six, seven years old, like trying to explain to my classmates what is going on with me. Like, I, I have no idea. I'm going to be adopted. What does that mean? My name's going to change. I think I don't, Damn. but I just like had no clue. There's just so much confusion. Like, yeah, you know what? throughout my life. And I played, and we'll get into that, but I played the victim for a long time around, you know, my mom leaving. Well, you know, and this, this, these thoughts would go through my head of like anyone that's ever said they love me is left. Like no one loves you. They always leave your life. Right. So there's just this confusion that blanketed my whole childhood. And what that looked like was you say that again, I'll punch you in the mouth or, you know, I'll set your shed on fire. Or like, I just like, was on this mission to bring the pain that I felt was brought to me to everyone around me. Yeah. That's a, I, I was, I was going to ask you that and you, you started to kind of go into it, but if you felt loved as a kid um, and I, I think that's, I think it was my daughter I was talking to recently and you know, she's nine, she's a pretty astute little girl too. And uh, we, we kind of have these conversations sometimes and we were talking about just really at the basis of anything as a human being, we just want to feel wanted and loved. And as a kid, I can only imagine if you don't feel like that, what that does to you inside. Like, did you feel like you were loved or did you, like you kind of mentioned you felt abandoned in a sense too. Do you think that had a lot to do with it? The anger and and rage? 
Yeah. I mean, I, no, I didn't feel loved. And, and I know that that had nothing to do with my foster parents because they were amazing human beings. And they're yeah. two of my closest relationships today. You know what I mean? I call, I call them mom and dad. They raised me. Right. And I, awesome. I tortured them. I owe them mom and dad. Right. I tortured <laughs> these people yeah. and um, they, they piled it on me and I couldn't feel it. Why couldn't I feel it? Cause I hated myself. Mm. And I, of course, you know, you know, well, coming into, you know, 12 step work and more transformational work that I've done over the years, I've been able to really, you know, pull out what's yeah. true and what's not, but I hate well, it myself. And I think, I think maybe, um, you know, that's, that may be even a good segue into, you mentioned already the victim mentality. I know for me, man, I played the victim role for a long time. I came from a fucked up home, you know, this happened to me, that happened to me. Um, I'm angry. Uh, I'm, I'm the victim. Right. And so it's like this cycle where it's, it's almost like a poor me pity party type of thing. Um, I, I feel like too, that's very relevant just in, uh, in, in kind of the culture we live in too, with a lot of other stuff. And we can kind of save that maybe for later on or another time. But, um, what did that victim mentality, when did that start to, to really creep in and, uh, where did that go or as you started to get older? Yeah. I mean, probably 18 years. Like I, I, I just turned 18. Uh, my, t my teachers in high school were like, just show up and we're going to pass you. And I remember one morning I didn't have any, I didn't have anything to get lit before I went to school or if I even went to school and I commando crawled into my adopted mother's bedroom mm. and my adopted brother, her son caught me. I punched him. She threw me out. And that's when it like, look, every, you know, she ran from me and I just, I just kept going with that until I met, you know, one of my, my first coach, mentor, sponsor, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I used to pilot on people. Right. And I, I, my experience of, you know, being a therapist, engaging in transformational work and like all the experience that I have with this is that we start to build lies onto what actually happened because if we don't build lies onto what actually happened, we don't get the effect that was once produced from the story that we told. So when I say to people, you know, I was handcuffed and locked in a closet and burned with cigarettes and some of my earliest memories are watching my mom sniff cocaine off a chest freezer. It doesn't hold, like, I don't get the reaction that I used to get. You're going to be like, oh, wow, that's fucked up, dude. Poor kid. That should never happen to a child. That worked the first 10 times. Now I need to turn it up a little bit. Oh, I see. You know, and it, it just kept going and kept going and kept going. And it wasn't until I met, uh, I met this man who was, you know, one of my first mentors and coach. And I was, you know, doing a session with him. And I was just hitting him with my woe is Mark. And he goes, wow, man. And he didn't respond like, like individuals normally had. And he goes, wow, man. And I go, what? He's like, dude, that, it, he goes, it must suck to be you, huh? And I was like, what? And he was like a hippie. I'm like, dude, yeah. I'll, I just got out of prison. Like, I'll break you. <laughs> you know, and I'm, in my head, I'm like the convict mind. Yeah, yeah. But, but he said it in such a way that it just stopped me. And I, and I go, what do you mean, Rob? He goes, man, I don't know. I don't know what it must feel like or be like to be 23 years old, still living as if you're three to seven. Damn. That's... Like, what's that like? Like, what is it like to, to navigate the world 
based off of belief systems of a three and a three to seven year old. Yeah. And I was like, and it just crippled me. I started crying and I just became obsessed with transformational work from literally that moment to, to today. Yeah. That's, that's a trip, man. So you, uh, he kind of, I love that too, that technique of getting you to figure that out on your own in a sense, you know, he wasn't a dick about it, but it was kind of, you know, it kind of made you think a little bit. Do you think, um, and I don't know how much work you do in this. Uh, my friend TJ Woodward talks about this, about unlearning rather than learning. Like we got to unlearn a lot of the stuff. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, it, it takes a minute to kind of grasp what that means. Um, do you feel like that's a that's a good technique or that's a good uh, tactic to do? And, and how do you or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, totally. I mean, you when you start to you like when you start to identify that you've been playing the victim and here's the thing, right? So an individual is going to continue to play the victim until they, until they've really identified that the result that used to be produced is no longer being produced. So basically what you're going to find out is it's costing you more than it's bringing you. Got it. Right. So when you really get tapped into and, and, and focused on, and the truth is brought to you around what this is actually costing you. And I see it a lot in recovery, right? Individuals that, you know, I did it. I'm a junkie felon. You know, I have a GED. I'm just going to paint and drywall for the rest of my life. Well, if you continue to tell yourself that bullshit, then yeah, you're going to continue to do that. Mm. Right. But you, yeah, you absolutely need to rewrite the way that you view yourself. You can't change the past. Yeah. But what I started to do was to do loving kindness work, start to, you know, manifest or practice the self-loving behavior and thoughts and visualization and meditation. And I was like, Oh, maybe I am a good person. Well, maybe I'm not a convict anymore. Am I, I don't live like that. I was convicted of felonies. I did my time. Now I'm a productive member of society. And, and so what I did is I really believe in the practice of expressing gratitude and finding gratitude within the moments That's of good. your darkest times. Okay, what did I learn from going to prison? What did being handcuffed and locked, being locked in a closet, what did that actually do for me? So what did all these things do for me rather than all of these things were done to me? So you're, so you're trying to find the, the purpose or the, um, I guess, the positive in any situation. Um, and that's a tough thing to do. And before I forget, too, a totally different subject, were you, were, was it you that I talked to that also did drywall? Or was that somebody else? Did you used to yeah, do drywall? Yeah, no, I painted and drywalled for 15 okay, years. Okay, so it was you because then we talked about this. So I, I, I didn't do it for 15. I think I did it for seven. Uh, well, specifically drywall. Well, I'm but- probably closer to seven too with with incarceration <laughs> and homelessness. <laughs> yeah, days, payday, I don't show up till Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. No, no, when, when you said that though, the drywall, you know, I just – I can clearly remember a day out in San Francisco and just we were sanding ceilings like for like fucking weeks on end because we were working in these condos. And I remember just sanding it going almost crying, going, God, I know you got more for me than this. What? I mean, and there's I'm, nothing against drywall, man, or painting or whatever. That shit's hard ass work. I got a lot of homies who do construction. They bust their ass every day, but it was not for me. I knew there was something else out there, man. When did you know that there was something more um, you know, and, and, uh, and you know, what was your, what age was that at? What time was that at? Where, where were you when you kind of, you know, something changed? Yeah. So 
I know there's a lot of controversy right now around this, but I was reading, I won't even drop his name. I'll just drop the book. I was reading Awaken the Giant Within and well, I'll just drop it. Tony Robbins. It's a great book. I don't give <laughs> yeah. a shit what's in the media. Um, what's you know, in the, what's I, in the I, media? I don't, I don't know if I've caught it. I mean, Oh God, you... there's a whole bunch of uh, women that are coming out with accusations of sexual assault. And I don't know if it's true or really? not. I'm not playing that right. side of like, I stand with Tony. I don't fucking stand for that bullshit. If it happened, <laughs> you know, I, that, but, I just don't. And that's the problem though, that we have with the fucking media today is that you don't know anymore what's true and what isn't. And it's just like, unless you were there, you know, and you, and you saw it or you were the person, it's like, who, who really knows, you know, kind of tough, different, different topic, but or different point. Yeah, we rabbit hole. You and I could rabbit yeah. hole off bro, all over I'll, the place. Man, we definitely <laughs> could, bro. I can feel it already. Anyway, so you read reading, the book. Yeah. So I'm reading this book and um, at the time winter's approaching and, and winter in New England work dries up. So only the owners of the companies are usually doing work in the winter because it's all interior. It's their work that they try to push out. So when the snow flies and so work's drying up and at this time I'm in recovery, I'm 24. I just got out of a year long treatment center, therapeutic community. And I'm in my own apartment for the first time. I'm reading this book. I'm seeking, right? And I'm meditating and I'm depressed as hell. Like, I'm just like, like what you were talking about. Like I'm working for these drug addicts, um, you know, painting company. They own this painting company. They're sniffing Coke all the time. They're hiring dope heads. I'm one of the only people with a license. I mean, they're shooting up on the way to the job site. And like, I'm on parole at the time. And and I remember like I'm in meditation one morning and cause that's what we're told to do. Right. Seek. And I'm crying. And I just went, God, what the fuck, man? Like, please, like, what do I have to do? Like, I understand I did some messed up stuff. Like there has to be something else. I can't continue to live like this. And I had like maybe a month's worth of rent saved up. And I knew I'm about to be out of work and I don't have a, a backup plan other than, you know, my mind's going, okay, well, if this shit doesn't work, like the ski mask always did. Right. So those behaviors and thoughts are coming back in yeah. and, and I'm, and I'm doing this meditation this morning and I'm crying and all of a sudden I get this thought, go to school. Hmm. So I was like, okay, what does that mean? I'm not going to be able to go to school. I got a GED that they made me get in prison. I got on the, you know, whatever thought I was going to go for business. I was going to start my own painting and drywall company. I get on the phone with this college enrollment counselor to go online because I didn't want to go face to face because I was a dropout. Like I thought I was dumb, right? I told myself for years I was dumb. Get on the phone with this enrollment counselor. She said, what do you want to go to school for? And out of my mouth comes psychology. And I'm like, what? Dude, it was like, no, I want to go for business. But I, I rolled with it. I was like, all right, God, this is your road, man. Like I'm, I'm just walking it. And I'd love to tell you that that's when it changed, but it didn't, right? So I went to school. I got a 4.0 online. Uh, another mentor of mine who I found from reading that book, I learned how, you know, Awaken the Giant, but then I learned how to leverage a mentor. So I asked one of my professors to mentor me, going to school face-to-face. -face. I asked him out to lunch, this dude, Marty, and uh, he's like, well, you know, what, what is it about? And I was like, I'm going to buy you a free meal and you're going to be my mentor. He's like, what does that mean? I was like, said, man, I'm trying to break out into the, into the human service industry. Like I want to, I want to empower people. And, you know, I come from this place and I told him my whole story. He got me an interview, landed the interview. That wasn't enough for me. Right. Here's the moment that it changed. I'm trying to speed up so we can rabbit hole somewhere else. 
So I'm working at this runaway and homeless youth drop-in center and I'm working with like the, like just the bottom of the, the barrel, like these, you know, my people, right? Like they're, they're sleeping outside every night. Like I'm going, I'm doing in-home services, um, counseling services for couches that I'm like, I don't even want to sit on. Right. It's yeah. just like sketchy, but I'm in my element and I can tell you're the same way. Right. Like the sketchier it is, the more yeah. I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm home. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm like, man, I don't want to do this. So this job, this job opens up and it's to work at DCYF, which is the youth detention center in Manchester, New Hampshire. And it, it's to work for the state. And I'm like, okay, my mentor says, don't do it. You're never going to get hired. I mean, you have six felonies on your record. Like it's, I'm like three years off parole at this point. He's like, it's never going to happen. All my colleagues are like, never going to happen. And it was at this moment that I was like, you know what? I'm so sick. And this is what's going on in my head. Like, I'm so sick of believing that none of this shit's possible. I'm going to go find out. That's I'm going to, I'm going to get told no. Yeah. I applied, interviewed, nailed the interview, got a second interview, nailed the second interview, got offered the job. As they were offering me the job, I said, hey, you might want to know about this. No big deal. We got it. Hired me. I started working six, eight months in. The union leader, which is this gossip paper in New Hampshire, that just like, they, I mean, they make their money off just, you know, yeah, bullshit. Media. We already, we already shit. You already shit on the media. And um, so they're reaching out to me, trying to get me to interview. Uh, the director of the facility, Maggie Bishop, at the time says, "No, you're not interviewing. Like we're not doing that. I know what they're doing. She knows I'm a felon now. She's probably squirreling. I don't know. Anyways, they released this article without any of my input, and you know, your audience can can look it up. It's uh, convicted burglar counsels youth was the headline of the front. It was front page of the Sunday news in New Hampshire. And I know what they were trying to do, but what they did was light a fire inside of me that has burned ever since. I mean, that oh. was like eight years ago, nine yeah. years ago, 10 years ago. That was 10 years ago. And I remember bring, I went, I, I didn't say anything to my wife. I got up early. She's still in bed. I went to the store, bought the paper, and I saw that convicted burglar counsels youth. And there was my mug shot from prison. And I come home, my wife's up at the time. She's like, where, you know, where'd you go? And I was like, I bought the paper. I show it to her. And she was like, oh, wow. She's like, how do you feel? And I said, so empowered right now. <laughs> she goes, what do you mean? And I was like, do you know how many others are out there just like me, people in recovery that have criminal records that have like these tainted pasts that have all of these stories of what they're able to do and not able to do. And society is like stacked the chips against us, especially if you're a convict, yeah. like we rehabilitate you, but then we're going to throw 75 roadblocks in front of you to try to get back on your feet. And, and I was just like, dude, I was amped. I went to work that day. Cause it was, I, you got time and a half. You went on Sunday. I walk in dude at the bubbles about to buzz me. And he goes, Mark, didn't you read the paper? And I go, yeah, they could have done a better job of highlighting my attributes. And I just went to the unit. All the kids had read it, yeah. right? And like, I became the hero in yeah. the detention center because they're all like, oh, man, you kicked doors in too. <laughs> you know, and it was just like, wow, and I, bro. And it was, it was from that moment that, that I knew, you know, that I knew that my calling was to be on stage and, and to write, you know, we're, you know, 
I've written, I'm about to release my second book and, you know, I'm, I have a podcast and yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing all of this stuff in this life that literally if you're in recovery and you're listening to this, like uh, there's my challenge to you. Turn it up. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like there is I, like, you may have to jump through more hoop, more hoops. I just made a word <laughs> up more hoops than the yeah. average human will. But I'm telling you, we're so resilient yeah. Like I have been told no, like I was, um, I was, uh, what two and a half years off parole. I was cleared to volunteer back at the prison, the same prison in Concord that I was released from. Yeah. Do you know how many people told me that I couldn't do that? Like I'm telling you, God, higher power, whatever you believe in, you tap into that. You can do all kinds of stuff. I love it, bro. That's I, the moment of change. I told you it was a long answer. No, I, I, I love it, man. That's a great story, man. And it's it's inspiring. Even me just sitting here, just talking to you right now, bro. Just, um, just that power that you speak of as people in general, but especially people who have had shit that they've been through. And I'm, and I'm thinking of, uh, in particular, one of my homeboys, and I'm, I'm not going to say his name, but he knows who he is. We walk often in the mornings. Um, and I know that if, you know, that he would relate just to this you know, same situation or similar, you know, felonies and that background and just really a good dude and made a lot of changes in his life and has motivated his shit to keep on going. At the same time, you know, you and I both know that even in recovery, which is why we continue to uh, practice recovery. It's a, it's a daily practice, man. There's shit that still happens, man. There's shit that comes up. It's the daily grind of things. And even when these beautiful things um, you know, like family and you're, you're about to have a baby. You said, right. Congrats on that, dude. That's so, so fucking awesome. Nothing better than being a father and nothing more challenging at the same time. Um, but anyways, where I was going with that was, you know, we still have, to, we still have shit we have to deal with, I guess. And we have to deal with these things. And the beauty of it is, is we actually get to feel it and deal with it now. And I have to remind myself of that sometimes because I can get caught real quick in that, ah, you know, I start going down that road of that, that negative mindset. It can click in. Thankfully I have tools now to kind of click out of it. I can say, wait a minute, Shane, you're going down that road again. Um, you know, snap out of it, get to a meeting, call, call somebody, you know, talk about it, whatever. Um, dude, isn't it great to be able to have those, you know, those kind of tools and that, um, you know, that resources, family, community to be able to lean on because just because you're sober doesn't mean everything is, you know, it's not all roses and rainbows and shit every day. We still have things we got to deal with. Oh, I mean, yeah, dude. I mean, um, I've been, I'll just be a thousand percent transparent for your audience, right? There's limiting beliefs that are cropping up for me about to be a father, hmm. right? And so the little story in the back of my head is you never had a father. Oh, yeah. You don't know how to raise a kid. Like, look at all the messed up stuff that you've done in your past. Hmm. You're not going to be a good father, right? But I have, I've surrounded myself with men that are living life on the next level. And, you know, also, a little shout out for the, you know, your recovery listeners, like be careful of who you surround yourself with in recovery because you're going to become them. Yeah. Like I only associate with individuals that are living the life, not just talking about the life that are living it because I can't, I know me Shane, right? Like yeah. I'm, I'm a resentment away from grabbing a ski mask and a pistol, <laughs> you know, like I'm not immune yeah. to that life. Yeah. I just like, I can't, I don't play with it. I can't play with it. So yeah, I mean, life, 
So what if, if, if you don't if you don't mind, what did you go to prison for? You, you mentioned robbery, burglary. so so burglary. Okay, that's what I figured. Just wanted to get it, make it clear, or whatever. So you go plural, you, plural. burglaries. <laughs> I want to make that clear. We got pl- the plural burglaries. Okay, and I made eighteen amends for for wow. other kicking doors in uh, a home invasion that I wasn't convicted for. So did, while did, on parole, did you um, wear a ski mask as well? Uh, I had been known. <laughs> I got to get my that slogan. Nah, yeah. No face, no case. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's good. Oh man. Then they came out with DNA testing. Oh yeah. Then you're, then you're really screwed, man. The, the mask doesn't matter at that point. And I, and I'm partly la- I'm laughing at that. And I'm also laughing at, you got to go on my Instagram for some fucking reason. And got my son, he's, he's four. He'll be five in July and dude's a character, man. And for some reason he wanted a ski mask and my wife orders him a ski mask um, a couple months back off Amazon and I wake up one morning and this dude's like running through the house, um, you know, with this ski mask on, I go in his room later, he's sitting in there laying in his bed, eating some popcorn, watching a movie with the ski mask. On. I'm like, what are you doing, bro? Totally off. Goes, totally that's, off my boy. that's my boy right there. I'm <laughs> proud of you, son. Oh, no, man. But so one, one of the things I was, I was thinking about when you were talking about being in when you walked back into work that day and you had all the, all the, um, you know, youth in there that are, that are kind of cheering you on and they're, you know, they, they must see you as hope for them. They must see you as an example of, damn, look at Mark. Like he had a fucked up past, you know, I didn't have a dad either. I didn't have a, a family or whatever, but like, damn, if he can get through this, I can get through this. And I know that's probably in a much wider scope, especially with the work that you do today. But in that moment, I had this quick thought or, or, or vision, I guess, of you walking through that door and just seeing these kids, even if it was just one fucking kid that it helped, um, to motivate, that's pretty damn cool in itself, man. Did you get some of that feedback from any of the, of the kids that were in there? Oh yeah. I mean, and to be honest, it created a really unsafe situation within the institution because the youth were so aligned with me. Right. So they were, you know, they were like amping up to other staff members and like, they just like, they viewed me as part of the team. Yeah. Right. And I was like, no, 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 the guys, I don't live (laughs) your life anymore. I I got out of it. Right. And so, yeah, there is that. And yeah, there's just, um, so it's like, in the book where it says no in the, in the big book where it says, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we'll see how our experience can benefit others. Mm-hmm. So I just spoke at a conference in Chicago three weeks ago and I ripped the stage right with, with my deepest, darkest secrets. And then I flipped it on the audience mm-hmm. and said, but I'm not a victim. Right. And they're all just standing there like with their jaws on the ground like, well, what do you mean? Right. But we have, you know, in order to overcome a victim mentality, you need to not no longer be okay with playing the victim. And we have a society that's set up to coddle us and rock us to sleep, you know, and and I don't want to get into the mental health industry as a whole or any of that. Shane's smirking. He's (laughs) (laughs) He's ready. But like, we just, you know, there's, there's so much coddling yeah, that, that goes on. And it's like, look, and I want to say this for any, any of you that, that have been victimized out there. Mm. I am a victim. 
right? I'm a victim of unfortunate circumstances that shouldn't have happened to any child, right? But I don't play a victim. There's a difference between being a victim and playing one. Being a victim means the things happen to me. Playing a victim means that I blame my current circumstances and my future outcomes based off of things that happened in the past that I have no control over. Yeah, and that's what I've devoted my life to, to empowering individuals to break free from that so they don't have to be stuck in the past. I'm so glad that you, that you kind of uh, explain that too, the, the differences there, because, you know, we're kind of joking around and stuff and having a good time. And I try to make sure that, you know, we're talking about some serious shit here. It's, it's hard to, you know, um, always take things so serious. You got to kind of laugh at things sometimes, but at the same time, I don't ever want to come across like, you know, there's people like yourself. Um, I'm sure plenty of other people out there listening who have been through some shit and, uh, you know, it is, it's, it's, it's jacked up and, and sometimes it's, uh, it's sad. Uh, at the same time, you kind of have a choice. Like you can live in that, um, or you can, you can face it almost head on and, uh, and, and really dive in and look and try to find the opportunity in it. Um, I mean, damn dude. I mean, you, you, you went back to school, you're speaking like, what is, you know, what is life really like for you today um, compared to that old life? It's, I mean, it's amazing. And, and I want to drop this plug out there. If there are any of you that have traumatic past that can identify with what I'm saying One of the greatest things that I've done outside of the countless workshops, and I mean, I spent 75 grand last year on my personal development. So, is um, I would recommend going and finding a good EMDR therapist and and doing some and doing some work around it. It changed my life. Um, So I'm not, you know, it's not my it's not my meaning to downplay these things, right? But I don't play the victim anymore. So, dude, my life is amazing today, bro. Like I, uh, I'm married. Uh, we have a house, you know, all, we have all of the stuff, but really like, dude, if you look at the stuff, like I just got off a mastermind call with uh, three other uh, dudes here in Austin, none of them are in recovery and they're all like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you up to, bro? <laughs> they're like, you're launching a book and you know, a new, you know, I'm launching a, the Purpose Chaser seven day jumpstart and the Purpose Chasers Academy off the back end of the book. And like a week after Little Man comes and the audio book releases and like, you know, and they're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, how are you going to do that? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm telling you what, I tapped into this power that's got me. Yeah. You know, and it's like, Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about the entrepreneur aspect of it. I feel like there's a lot of people, especially in recovery out there that, um, they're artists, they're creators, they know that there's something more out there. I know for me, dude, like one thing that I've kind of underestimated how much just the podcast and that entrepreneurial spirit has helped to keep me sober too, because I just have this, this drive in me, um, to just seek and to just go and create and serve and, um, I want to help. I gen- like for the first time in my life when I got sober and started working a program and start like I actually wanted to serve other people. Like you, I'm sure you can understand what I'm talking about. When we're in our addiction, we don't give a fuck about anybody. Like it, we're just like whatever. You know what I'm saying? And like there's this beautiful thing when you find it, and um, you know you become this creator, this entrepreneur. It really helps drive and burn that desire just to. Um, 
you know, to do all that stuff, man. Um, and you're doing like 8,000 things at one time right now. Book. How did the podcast start by the way? Let's start there. <laughs> I, it just, I don't know. A, yeah. A, entrepreneurs around me were podcasting and I was like, Ooh, I want to, <laughs> I want to do this. I have yeah. stuff to say and I want to interview cool people. And then I pod faded like two months in cause I wasn't yeah. getting the downloads and the likes and I didn't know how to track it. And yeah. I started on SoundCloud to show you how much, how little I knew about <laughs> podcasting. Yeah. Shout out to SoundCloud. <laughs> um, I knew I, like, I didn't know what I was doing and, and here's how it started. So there's so many people in the recovery community that are just kind of living and I was like living, like you're living, like we're living, you know what I mean? Like I'm out there like next, what's next? Oh, they told me I couldn't, but here I am next. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, and it's not from a sense of like, I'll never be filled. It's from a sense of like, dude, I shouldn't fucking be here. Yeah. Gratitude, I shouldn't huh? be here. I should be yeah. in prison or dead. Yeah. Like I'm riding, I'm riding this life out. You know what I mean? Like I duct taped the wheels back on the yeah. things running strong. I haven't changed the oil. So <laughs> there's one big misconception or not even a misconception, but there's like this, I don't know. I, I want to say it's the pink elephant or the blue elephant. It's something, right? It's yeah. like when you come into recovery and I want to share this, cause this is something that was there for me. When I came into recovery and especially with, you know, being an LMSW, a licensed master social worker. So I went through a social, the, my master's degree in social work. There is this undertone that money's evil, that you shouldn't want money. To want money is ungodly and to want money is selfish. And I don't believe that shit. Yeah. I don't believe that. I believe that what's ungodly and what is selfish is how you obtain that. I seek to serve. I seek to impact. So to go off what you said, when I started the podcast, I wanted to get in the ear, into the ears of individuals that didn't know this whole other life was out there. Yeah. You know, entrepreneurship, like writing a book, speaking on stage. You want to speak on stage? It's super easy. Like it's not difficult. You want to get on a podcast? Like Shane and I could introduce you to all kinds of people that would probably <laughs> want to hear your story. Like it's not hard, but most people just like they're in this mindset, this scarcity mindset. Yeah. And it's really, really common in recovery. I love money. I don't know if you talk about this on your show or not, Shane, but I love money. <laughs> Please. I don't believe that God wants me to be broke. Yeah. I'm not chasing it. I'm chasing impact. And the more I serve, the more money comes into my bank account. Isn't that crazy how that happens? That's that and that's see, that's the right mindset. You know, I, I feel like that's the mindset. That shit comes when you're doing what is right, when you're serving, when you're doing what you love to do, when you're doing, when you're working um, through what God has planned for me, at least. That's kind of the way the way I see it. Um, how did how did you hook up with Larry? By the way, did, do you guys Dude, know each so, other through mastermind groups, or did you just link up randomly? Or Larry, dude, shout out to Larry. Yeah, he, shout out to Larry Hagner, man. Yeah, I don't know, he might, but he's a good dude, man. So he's the, he's honestly the first podcast that I went on where my butthole got tight um, because I knew, right? Yeah. Like yeah. he, he's an OG, like yeah. he's connected, he's, he's getting dude. downloads, yeah. like he's doing big things, right? Like he's yeah. impacting a lot of people. And so it was like, I get on podcasts, I've been on podcasts, right? I, I, 
I get connected and I just showed up the way that we do, right. Or that we're supposed to, you know, I interviewed the, my ass off. I was honest, authentic. I answered all of his questions at the end of the interview. I'm like sitting there in my head and I'm like, I don't know how I did. And then he invited me to another call in which he introduced me to you and eight other dudes that I'm like, Oh my God. And then he asked me to come do a live video with his Alliance. But the same thing is at the end of that call or the end of the interview, I said to him, which I'll say to you at the end of this one, like, man, what can I do for you to bring you value? What can I do for you to move the needle forward for you? Yeah, that's good. I just teared up a little bit. Right. But like, that has gotten me so far. Like yeah. I'm not a, I don't hire VAs to cold email Shane to get on his podcast. Yeah. I just show up in this life and people, I mean, two people introduced us, Glenn and then- how crazy was that too, man? So Glenn and Larry who don't know each other, they connected us through email in the same week, I think too, which was a trip to me. So, I mean, you know, that's a God connected. Dude, right heart centered people. For I mean, real. that's been my experience. Like, dude, I'm not getting connected to, to snakes. Yeah. Like I'm telling yeah. you, I'm just not, they're out there. I meet them all the time, right? Networking yeah. events here in Austin. They're out there. I'm yeah. getting connected to some really heart centered, amazing human beings. Yeah. And that's because I'm just showing up and being yeah. me and really trying to bring value because like getting on your podcast, yeah, I get these, these downloads. Maybe one of your listeners comes over and listens to purpose chasers podcast. Maybe one of them buys a copy of my book or like whatever, right? Like that's all there but that's selfish. When I think about it of like, okay, I'm going to meet this dude, Shane. How can I bring value into his world and build a relationship with him so that we can both prosper and we can both impact? Like that's the mindset that I try to bring into this. And that's how I met Larry. I was, who introed me to me? Oh, I was on Omar's uh, recovery revolution. Yeah. What's up? And, uh, (laughs) yeah, what up baby? And, um, there's the interviewing on that. And then we became, you know, we became friends. I started giving him some, like some coaching and just, we just went back and forth, back and forth. And then, um, he's like, dude, I think you, you need to meet this person. And he connected me and then I just get connected. Yeah. I don't know. And now I'm like, Oh my God, Shane, you need to, you need, dude, you need to meet so-and-so and go on this and yeah. do this. And like, that's it's just what badass, we do, man. It's just, it's like a spider web of just like good good people connecting. And I, I never, ever understood that. I never even knew there was communities and things out there like that until I got sober, which ended up leading into podcasting and this whole new, this whole new world, this whole new experience of what it is to, um, really to be a man, I think, you know, that's just kind of what's coming to mind right now. Just like being a better father, being a better husband, being a better friend, being a better, um, just person of service. And I'll never forget. And you, you reminded me of this when you were talking about, um, you know, the service part of it and you know, what can I do for you after I had, so Larry had hooked me up with Aaron Walker. Have you talked to Aaron Walker yet? No. From view from the top. Okay. You got to talk to Aaron. So we'll, we'll make that connection to phenomenal dude out in uh, Nashville, uh, or, or Nashville area. Um, view from the top. He's like the OG of mastermind groups, bro. Like he worked with Dave Ramsey for, um, I think he's still part of Dave Ramsey's mastermind group as a matter of fact, but he's been on the podcast a couple of times. Um, and the first time that I had him on though, I was still, you know, I'd only been doing the show for a couple of years at the time. So not even 
um, you know, maybe a hundred podcasts or something. And I was so stoked to have him on. He was awesome. He gave so just like you're talking about. He gave I just so want to much say, money. like to the, yeah. to you listening out there, he's like a hundred podcasts or something. <laughs> like he makes it sound like it's no big deal. All right, carry on. No, so, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, it has been a lot of work, man, but it's been great. It doesn't even feel like work, man. It, it's I enjoy the shit out of doing this every single podcast and conversation that I have the opportunity to have. But so I have Aaron on. And I'm like just so pumped to have Aaron Walker on. He's such a phenomenal dude. Just I'm learning so much from him, his service mentality. And about, I don't know, maybe a month, month and a half goes by and I get this card in the mail. And it's like, hey, Shane. I try to do it in the Aaron Walker voice. Hey, Shane. I can't even do it. It's that Tennessee, like Southern, you know, like just want to thank you so much for for allowing me to come on you this dude's like a like straight og vet like in the service game for you know 20 something 30 years and here he is taking you know 10 minutes out of his day to write me a thank you card to come on my measly stupid podcast you know what i'm saying and like thank me for and i just thought i i really learned something in that moment like wow the the um the power in taking a minute to thank somebody or to offer, how can I help you? Like, what can I do for you? Can I, do you just want to, you know, just want to talk, whatever, man, that thank you card was so freaking huge, man. I don't know where the hell I'm going with that. It just got me excited. And it just reminded me when you were talking about that service stuff, man, it's, there's a whole nother world out there. That's that where that lies, you know? It's funny that you brought that up because I literally just released an episode on purpose chasers today which is the leveraging thank yous mm, really the, import, the importance of th of thanking individuals and not only thanking them not being like shane thank you for having me on but like literally be like shane like maybe you don't have an answer right now man and that's okay but i just want you to sit with if there's anything that i can do for you to move the needle forward yeah like is there anyone you're trying to get connected to is there anything that I can do to bring value to you and to your community and to your family? And like if individual, like if, if you're looking to level up your life and you're listening to this, like if you start applying that, you're going to shoot off like a rocket. That's yeah. been my experience. Like authentically be like, bro, like what can I do for you? Yeah. I think that's, that's a great word. Authentic authenticity. Um, such a good word. That, that's what people want. Um, and I, and I was, I was watching something earlier before we got started today and someone was talking about how we got all these talking heads on, on television. I won't name any networks in particular or anything, but it's just a bunch of, it's just fake to me. Like, you know what I mean? And, and, and it's, it's not, there's no realness behind it and people want real, we want truth. We want, we want to hear from people, um, who, who care and who have, things to say that are valuable and that are real. And so I think that's, I, and this kind of even goes into, and here, here I go down a fucking hole again, but the, why, why podcasting is so loved right now and why it's growing at the fastest rate out of any, I, actually, I shouldn't say that because I don't know that for a fact, growing at the fastest rate out of any media platform, but I know it's probably one of the top um, dude, of from growth. dude from Libsyn said uh, 750,000 podcasts, 250 active. Wow. That's incredible. Incredible. And think where, where does that go five years from now? You know what I'm saying? Uh, where does it go 10 years from now? Who knows? You know, but it, that's, that's a whole nother exciting part of it. You know, I wake up every day, just pumped just to see what the fuck is going to happen that day. <laughs> 
know what I'm saying? So let's uh, let's talk about your book a little bit real quick, man. Number one, I know I shot you um, an email back when you sent me the uh, the the cover. The cover is is awesome, bro. It looks really good. It it, it screams strength and positivity. Um, tell us a little bit about the book. Um, how long did it take you to write it? Uh, when's it coming out? All that stuff. Yeah. So embrace your past, win your future is the name of my new book. And it was, I originally, I released a book last November and it was called eulogy of childhood memories. And it was just like my story of my traumatic childhood and da, 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 da. And my buddy, uh, my buddy, Brian Falchuk, who I get him, I get to connect you to, um, He's got a powerful story. I had him, I had him, I booked him to come on a stage, uh, this uh, charity event that I started a couple years ago in New Hampshire. Nice. But anyways, he read it and he was like, dude, for one, I had to hide it on the plane because the cover is like pretty, pretty graphic. I'm going to get, I'm going to show you. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see it. Yeah. See it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we can describe it though to them and I'm sure they can look it up if, yeah, you can look. You can look it up. It's still it's still selling on Amazon. Okay. So. Oh wow, that's the cover. Eulogy yeah, I shot that photo. Childhood memories. Wow. So is that a doll? It's a doll with a prescription bottle and a bunch of pills spilled out all over. Altoids. In the bottom. Yeah, it's oh, it's Altoids. Oh, it's Altoids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it. um, interesting. Yeah. So I wrote that, and then Brian read it, and he's like, "Dude, he's like, that. You know, it's it's fucked up." And I go, "What?" And he's like, "Dude, I I finished your book, and I felt like you should you still should be dead." And I was like, damn, bro. And so he challenged me to write another book. And so I wrote 37,000 words in 42 days. Damn. And I'm sitting with it and, and I'm like sitting with it and I'm doing some deprivation tank. It's uh, float therapy. Yeah. You know, I haven't done it before, but I've heard a lot about it. I need to, I need to epic, try it, dude. man. Yeah. Dude, try and it. the salt, it's right? Amazing. You sit in the salt yeah. float. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm floating and I'm like, all right, what am I going to call this second book? What am I going to call this second book? And I come home from this, or I'm in the shower at the float and it hits me. I'm done my float and it hits me in the shower. And it's like, what do you mean second book? This is one book. So what I did was I revamped, I revamped eulogy of childhood memories and then make sure you get me your address. I'll send you a copy. Yes, of this. please, bro. Please do. And then. And then part, I mean, part one is eulogy of childhood memories. I added a lot to it. Yeah. And then part, part two is, is the new book. And that is step-by-step directions of how I overcame my victim mentality and turned it into fuel to do everything that I'm doing now. But yeah, I mean, it, it took, I would say 60 days and I had it to an editor Really? That's pretty fast. Kind of unhurt. Yeah, you'd be surprised what you That's can do. really fast. Yeah, I w- actually, I was going to I was gonna ask you that. I know we have some writers out there that listen to the show. Um, and what is your process like when you're writing, or at least for, for that process? What did that look like? Did you set a time every day? Did you, were you real scheduled? Or, you know, what did that look like for you? Five minutes on Sunday. Five minutes on Sunday. Yeah, five minutes in my calendar on Sunday. And... And so he's looking at me like, like what the fuck? Off, bro. don't be spitting that bullshit to my audience. Yeah, five, there was five minutes in my calendar on Sunday. Uh-huh. That's all it was. And my wife knew, but the agreement that I had with myself was I couldn't stop until the thought was out of my head. Oh, really? That's interesting. And so when I would go through, 
I would sit down for an attention of five minutes. And then what would happen with me, with me was I outlined my whole book. So my pro, here's my process. I'm giving bonus content on this Yeah, episode. for real. My process okay. is, is I just start a, a bullet point. I just start bullet points. I just start a list of all the topics that I want to cover in my book. And then I start at the top bullet and I would sit down on Sunday and I would write on that bullet until the thought stopped. And if a new bullet came up, I would put it on the bottom of the list. Got it. And then the next Sunday, I would start the bullet and I would write and I would write and I would write. Well, so what I was doing was writing chapters of my book. Yeah. And you're getting in that and then, flow. And I wouldn't edit. I wasn't going back. I wasn't questioning what I was writing. That's another agreement that one of my mentors provided me with. I just kept writing. And yeah. you know, with the release of this book, I did a, a pre-release nice. of the Kindle edition on Amazon. And I hit number one in 48 hours. Really? So Congrats, bro. Really That's huge. A, didn't really give a shit about pre-release anymore. <laughs> Did you, I honestly don't care about making money off this book. I really don't. I, I kind of want to print thousands of copies and just drop it in stadiums. Wow. That'd be dope. <laughs> He's like, that'd be did dope. You, did you? Yeah, you'd probably, I'd probably get sued. <laughs> <laughs> dropping yeah. 200 page go. books out of a plane. Probably smack a couple people. people in the head. Whack. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. Did you do the, uh, did you do the, uh, did you say you did an audio book already or are you getting ready to do an audio version? Yeah, no, it's done. So I had um, one of my mentors is is a man named Hal Elrod. He wrote a book called Miracle Morning, and yes. um, it was it was on my list to have Rob Actis, who's done all the Miracle Mornings, do my book. So nice. Rob recorded Rob recorded it, and, and uh, it's, it, dude, it's full circle. Like if, if you yeah. if you visualize it, this is for your audience. If you visualize yeah. it, it happens. Like. January of this year, when I relaunched my, cause I pod faded, which means you just stop recording. Yeah. Shane knows. You it's, just common. Stop it's common. It's common. I, yeah, it's, it's a common thing. Yeah. I found out at the, at the conference that I went to that, um, it, uh, most people never get 200 downloads. So I'm like way past that. But anyways, really? so in January, I wrote a list of, um, guests that I want on my show. I actually wrote a, a new list today. I'm going to read it. Can I read it? Yeah, absolutely, bro. David Peltzer, George St. Pierre, mm. Warner Earhart, Sean Thornton, Tara Brock, Richard Rohr, J.P. Sears, Brandon Burchard, Ronda Rousey, Brene Brown, John North, and my favorite hip-hop artist, Apathy, who's coming on this summer. Nice. But anyways, <laughs> Hal Elrod was number one on my list in January. Really? So I'm going on his podcast tomorrow. Oh, nice, bro. And you, it, he's coming on mine in July. But the agreement was that it came to me in meditation that I couldn't ask him to go on. So I just brought him value. And he, and he invited you. I did a Facebook Live of the unboxing of my book. He commented on my post, said, I would love to have you on my podcast, and I would love to come on yours. And I was like, well, let me see if I can fit you in. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Hold on, Hal. Hold on, man. Let me just uh, see if it yeah. works out. You reach out to my people. Yeah. You call my, my VA, son. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, dude. So. No, I, you know, bro, you bring up such a good point with the visualization, visualization, uh, thing. Um, and I remember another person, Larry too. Larry's hooked, 
Larry's hooked it up and he's a really good example of that service thing. He had hooked me up with Jack Canfield a long time ago and I had Jack Canfield on and I remember him uh, explaining the story of, I, I want it, was it a million dollar check? I can't remember exactly how much it was, but he wrote himself a check for like a million bucks or whatever at one point before he'd even written the first chicken soup for the soul book. And, um, you know, a couple of years went by, he wrote the book and eventually, uh, you know, he, he ended up getting that check and that, that power of seeing something and going after it and believing it before it happens, but you can see it, um, it works. And I, and I've seen it in many aspects of my own life. And it, it sounds like, I mean, you just gave it an example yourself right there too. Um, it really does work. It's not magic. I don't really know what the fuck it is, but I know it's a certain feeling that I get when I get onto something and I know that it's going to happen. I, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know I'm going to get there. It's just, it, Kind of how I started the podcast. I didn't know how to fucking do a podcast at the time. I just knew I was going to start one and go. You know what I'm saying? And that that's what excites me, as a matter of fact, for each day. Like, what is that next thing going to be that I'm fucking stoked about to to go after? Do you know what I'm saying? So here, here's like I, that that list will stay there until they yeah. all come on my show, right? Yeah. And And so I'll start thinking David Peltzer, he's like, he is, he's the OG to what I'm doing, right? Yeah. So he wrote a book way back in the day, not that long ago in the 90s, <laughs> entitled A Child Called It. And it was the first time that I felt like an individual understood how I felt as a, as a foster child, right? So I'll look at that and I'll be like, you know, thinking David Peltzer, like, what, what am I going to ask him on the show? Yeah. Like, how am I going to pay homage to him? And I just start looking at it on a daily basis. And the next thing you know, the the play is going to come to me. Yeah, there it is. Like, oh, oh, here's what I'm going to do for David to get him on the show. And then I make that play, this heart, you know, with the heart guiding. And oh, come on, some of them. <laughs> Ronda Rousey would be a good one. I'd like to hear yeah. Ronda Rousey. She's so, she's such a badass. Yeah. Well, you, you prop, did you, did you ever hook up with, um, uh, oh man, I'm totally drawing a blank right now. Um, the Spaniard, in, yeah, the Span Charlie, yeah, Charlie, dude, Charlie's yeah. awesome, dude. He's a he's a good dude. Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing a swap, and I also just interviewed it. Actually, his episode launches uh, Friday. Um, Starks. So this man, this man, um, you want to talk about visualization? This, we're going long. Is that all right? Oh, dude, I I got up to. I'm right. fucking in a hotel room all night, all night, dude. I like, I got all night. I'm gonna keep. He's gonna keep recording until you guys end the show. Yeah, you guys quit listening. So, this dude started training, um, and decided that he wanted to turn his training up. Went to train with some killers. Walked in the gym, not really knowing what he was doing, and. Told us told the head coach of the gym, I want to be in the UFC in a year. He got a call up a year to the day. Damn. So, legit. so he went from not knowing how to fight to getting called up. I mean, he got his ass whooped, <laughs> right? So he was banging yeah. dudes out in the underground, just knocking them out with his power. He got to the UFC. He had no ground game, no judo, and he just he just started getting taken to the mat and smeared. But but that's that power though of I'm going to do this. I don't know how. I don't know when but i'm gonna you know i'm going after it and i'm gonna get there i love that man um yeah clifford starks that's his name clifford starks yeah clifford yeah, starks. Good, I don't think dude, heard him. uh you'll check it out dude yeah. check it out it comes it comes out friday man his story is like 
it blew me away. I was like, cause he was like doing like when you were saying all oh, hundred episodes, but he was like, you know, um, whatever he was saying. Yeah. And I got a call up from the UFC and did, 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 did. it was just kind of like when I, you know, in my, in my first book, when I was like, Oh, you know, I jumped into the Connecticut river and I had to take my clothes <laughs> off. I was close to drowning and, you know, you just carry on with the story and people yeah. are like, what, what dude, happened what you, to you? Like what? Yeah. It's like, dude, I was like, dude, shut up. Hang on a second. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, who yeah. don't understand what he's talking about. Yeah. Like this is unheard of. Totally. Right? So I had another, I had another friend, Scott Kujak, who, um, who won the, te- the golden gloves, six months of training, boxing, won golden gloves for the state of Texas. And he just like passed over it. I'm like, dude, sh- stop it, bro. Like that's unheard of. I think the power of, <laughs> of our minds is so, uh, so incredible. Especially when it comes to physical stuff. I don't know if you listen to, to Rogan's podcast at all. Um, but Eddie lizard, I think was on there a few weeks back. And he was talking about how he just would do like 40. I don't even remember what it was. It was an unheard of amount of um, marathons and Ironmans. And he just started, he, he basically woke up one day and was like, yeah, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a, a fucking marathon today. And he just ran it like no training, nothing at all. And just ended up doing them day after day after day. after. Now, obviously every, I don't know, maybe somebody can, everybody can do that. It's gotta be uh, taxing on the body. And I think he talked a little bit about that. Um, but the power of the mind, I guess what I'm trying to say is when we're hungry for something and we go after it, it's like nothing feels like it's impossible. I don't know, maybe floating up into the air or something, you know, I don't know, but um, it's pretty damn powerful shit. One of the realest books that I've read in a long time was David Goggins can't hurt oh, me. Man. He's on the list too. Oh yeah, dude. I, I've I've read uh, I've read the book too. I do it on an audio version of it. Which did you? No, hear I the, do the same thing. Did you Did you like how they did the audio version? I thought it was loved so it. cool. Like how I, they did. I, they, thought, I loved it, dude. Yeah, like they for those listening who haven't done the audio, like they stopped and they would do him and his. Uh, I think it was his editor, um, or co I can't remember who it was. I forgot the guy's name, but they would do like a podcast. They would stop and they would kind of recap each chapter, or a segment of a chapter. I thought that was a really cool way to do it. Hey, stay hard, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, that guy is fu- his story is in- insane, bro. That's some crazy yeah, I shit. Got, I got a I'm one connection away from him too. And mm-hmm. I my buddy Rick, who served with him. Uh, reached out to him and he said that he wasn't doing media appearances. He was like faded with him. Really? He's taking a break. Yeah. I tried. I do. I tried to get him on. He's probably running right now as we're speaking. Yeah. Probably doing recording Instagram videos. Screaming. Stay hard, (laughs) motherfucker. Quit being a pussy. Yeah, dude. (laughs) I like how he just told it real, man. Most people. (laughs) He's like doing dips in a hotel room. Dude. 4,000 pull-ups or some shit. Like insane, man. So what's what's next for you, bro? What what do you got going on right now? I know you're speaking. You're going to be. We mentioned coming up in September, doing some conferences. Uh, what else is going on? You know, man, I just really trying to get this book into into the hands of those that don't know that they need it, right? So I'm yeah. really I'm really on on this path of of breaking the, <laughs> the breaking the need to coddle victims. Yeah, that's good. And and doing it and I and I'm just trying to think of how to word it. Like I 
I can get away with it, right? So when I work with coaching clients, I speak very, very straight. Yeah. And it's because I'm so skilled at building rapport, right? So if you're out there, don't just start screaming at people that have trauma, <laughs> telling them to quit playing the victim because they have a trauma. Yeah. Right. But you have to, in order for you to be in a place to hear it. And I, I've given, I've given this keynote, embrace your past, win your future six times now in the last two months, three months, three months, six times I've given it. Some people didn't like my talk, but a lot of people came up to me and said, dude, I needed to hear that for like my whole life. Thank you. What, Thank you for keeping it real. What did people not like about it? They said it was too real. They haven't talked to me about it. I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess that's, that's fine. I don't know. But not, I, I mean, if, if you're, if you're a good speaker, people, not everyone's going to like what you're saying. Yeah. Like if you want to produce like meaningful transformation from a stage, not everyone's going to like you. Yeah. But the people that need to hear it are going to hear it. Well, you know, and it's just you. You meant you mentioned something even at the very beginning of this podcast, or shortly as we got going. Um, you mentioned relationships about building relationships, and I think at the end of the day, no matter what we're talking about, whether we're talking about recovery, business, family, friendship, whatever. At the end of the day, it's really about relationship. Like, I'm not going to be on my deathbed one day going, um, you know, man, I, I got, I had this much money or that much, you know, those, those things or this or that. Like, it's really going to be about who did I connect with? Like, did my fam, do I, I love my family enough? Like, the, those are the things that really matter at the end of the day. You know what I mean? And, and the older I get and the, the more I kind of go down this recovery path, um, I realize how important that is. And if we just keep that at the forefront, I feel like for me, like that's, that really helps drive my day and, uh, you know, continue to have good days after that. Absolutely, man. What, uh, yeah, it's, my buddy Pete said it in a, my buddy Pete said it in an episode that he did on my podcast. And he said, I'm in the business of building relationships. As long as I continue to stay focused on building relationships, my business builds. Yeah, it's good, man. It's good. Um, where can folks reach out to you? I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. You sent those over to me too. Um, what do we got here? Facebook, um, Instagram, markcrandall.net. Um, where can folks get the book, get any more info? Markcrandall.net. You can get four chapters of the book right now for nothing other than an email address. Nice. Um, you can also get access to my seven-day Purpose Chasers Jumpstart. Also, during this episode, I went and gave Shane's podcast a five-star and wrote a review. Oh, you're the man. You should do that. Thank you, brother. Y'all should do that because it put it's going to put his podcast into the ears of individuals that don't know that they need to hear it. And subscribe if you haven't subscribed, if you're just a, following him on Instagram and clicking on the subscribe. Look it, does, it. it does a lot for those, those that don't know that they need it. Yeah, man. Just my website, markcrandall.net. My Instagrams, everything's hooked up there. Yeah. I'm only, uh, I, I just do the Facebook and the Instagrams. I think I tweet, but I don't know what I'm doing. I'm with Lips you, bro. and like blast out one of my podcast <laughs> releases. It goes everywhere and I don't yeah. really follow. 
I just looked. I have like 16 tweeters or twiddlers or what are they called? The people that follow you. <laughs> I have no fucking clue either. Twitter, Twitter, twatter. I don't know. Twat. But, dude, I heard uh, people are blowing their podcasts <laughs> up with Twitter. And I'm like, you know, I, I know. Like, I just don't know how to nobody get time for that shit. I'm, I'm the same. Like through Libsyn, it blasts out, you know, to LinkedIn, to Twitter. It, you know, it hits my accounts, but I just don't. I don't really know how to tweet well, I guess. Somebody help me. Help us. Help Mark and I use Twitter. Tweeters. <laughs> dude, I'll swap coaching. Like what? Do you know how to tweet? Yeah. You can get the Hook tweet up. tweeting up. Twittering. Yeah. Twiddling. Uh, I, I appreciate you, man, dude. Thank you for uh, for taking some time. I know it's late uh, where you're at. And, uh, man, it was fun, dude. I mean, I love, uh, I love just shooting the shit, man, and being real and talking some recovery. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I appreciate it. I'm sure that there is a ton more to it and folks out there listening, you can find that more, uh, in, in the book and we'll put the notes in here. One last thing I want to tell you, bro. And I'm, I mean this, bro. Um, you're going to be a phenomenal father, dude. You're going to be an amazing father, dude. Like I know that you know that deep down, but I know that, that, that fear, um, I know where it's at because I had a lot of that fear too, especially when my son was born because I just had felt like I, I didn't know. Um, I didn't even know how to be a man. I think I felt at the time. And so I was so scared to like have a boy and that, you know what, but dude, like I, it, it all worked out for the best dude. And I can, I know that you, you know, you're doing what you got to do. You're a good man, dude. And that uh, you're going to be an amazing father, dude. So just congratulations again, man, on, on, uh, on your uh, son or daughter. Thanks, brother. It's a yeah. it's a boy. It's gonna be oh. little Mark. I appreciate little Mark, it. man. Sweet dude, Mark Junior. That's awesome, it's bro. Coming in, coming in hot. Yeah, well, good stuff, man. I appreciate you, dude. I'm gonna uh, hit the hit the little music there. Uh, Mark Crandall, everyone, check him out. MarkCrandall.net. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can connect with us on Instagram, at RealThatSoberGuy, maybe on Twitter. I probably don't know how to do it. Peace, love, and respect. Keep your blood clean.